couple of weeks ago, we, uh, we started our series, In Christ Alone, a journey through 2 Timothy. And we were encouraged in the truth that we are not alone. That we are not the engine that makes ministry go forward. We have been given gifts. We have been given the Holy Spirit. And the Lord is with us each and every step of the way. And this week, those words are still true. And it's important to cling to them for this week We see a bit of a turn. Paul is in prison. He he knows that his end is coming. His execution is imminent. Paul, the experienced father figure, is reaching out to Timothy, the scared, overwhelmed introvert. And he's being real with Timothy. He's He's not pulling his punches. As we read this passage this morning, may the word of the Lord feed us and encourage us for the ministry and the suffering that will most certainly be coming our way. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 to 18. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus Before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day that which has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Figelis and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Ascends the reading. Let's pray. And God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you'd speak through your word today. That you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. And we pray this in your name. Amen. A mere three weeks ago, while we were celebrating Easter in the safe confines of America, our brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka were living a nightmare. Three Christian churches and three luxury hotels in the commercial capital, Colombo, were targeted in a series of coordinated terrorist suicide bombings by a radicalized Islamic group. 253 people were killed. The church bombings were carried out during the Easter services. We've also had reports rolling in from Nigeria where Christians are being targeted by radical groups, including Boko Haram. Reports tell us that in 2018, thousands were killed, and in recent months, as many as 280 have been reportedly killed in Christian communities in northern and central Nigeria. The church in China is under more intense persecution. 
The Chinese government has been rounding up pastors and church members and putting them in detention. With leadership in prison, churches are closing and buildings that once held crosses and pulpits now house photocopiers and office desks. These are reportedly attempts by the government to control Christianity, to bring it more under their guidance, their umbrella. Our brothers and sisters all over the world are under attack. They are suffering for the sake of the gospel. And yet here in the States, you know, we struggle with the concept of suffering. We don't like the idea that that God would allow us to go through times of suffering. We have a hard time reconciling a God of love and a God that is all-powerful with a God that would allow his people to go through hardship. That would allow his people to go through suffering. We see this sprinkled throughout Western Christianity. We even have based end-time doctrine around this idea, particularly looking at the idea of the rapture, the idea that before things get too bad here on earth, God is just going to take up to heaven all those that believe in him so that you know, they don't have to live through the time of tribulation, the time of, of suffering. And we have many pastors that proclaim messages that that minimize suffering and and focus on a preferred view of God's favor. A ton of money. There are many prosperity gospel preachers, many guys that focus on health and, and wealth, but there are a few that stand above the rest. Guys like Joel Osteen and Oral Roberts. Here's a here's a quote from each. Joel Osteen, big pastor down in in South Texas, he says, don't, don't just accept whatever comes your way in life. You were born to win. You were born for greatness. You were created to be a champion in life. I mean, that sounds pretty good. That sounds nice. But is it, is it real? Oral Roberts says this. God wants you well. God wants you prosperous. God wants you a whole person. Well, both of these guys, Oral Roberts and Joel Austin, they have, they have some scripturally based messages at times. Their teaching is flooded with doctrine that minimizes suffering and leads us to believe that suffering is a display of God's disfavor. And not his love. And man, we listen to these guys. We we drink this stuff up because this is what we want to hear. Who likes to suffer? Who enjoys suffering? Currently here in the States, most of us don't suffer in the way that our brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka, Nigeria, China, and other areas of the world that are physically hostile, hostile, to the gospel suffer. We don't, we don't experience it in the way that they do. Here we are not typically physically assaulted. Here we are shamed. How often do we see verses cherry-picked from Leviticus and then taken out of context and then thrown in our faces? How could you believe in a God that would make someone jump through these hoops? How, 
how could you be like how how could a God be labeled good when they make these demands of you? I can't count the times I've been shamed for my beliefs by those who base their beliefs in science. And I understand that our, our current scientific understanding of the world around us struggles with a strict interpretation of the creation story in Genesis, among other things. Like, I, I get it. I, I understand that. And there's a deeper conversation to be had there. But that doesn't stop me from being shamed for what I am, to- for, for what I am told are backwards, simplistic, and naive beliefs. Society attempts to shame us for old-fashioned thinking in many areas of life, sexuality, identity politics, gender roles, abortion, abstinence, evolution, and the list goes on. So while we definitely do not suffer, especially physically, to the extent that others do, there is still a sense of suffering, and we we don't like to suffer. It's not fun. It's not enjoyable. And there's also a sense that if we go through any suffering, it's because God is unhappy with us, that we did something to incur his wrath, that that we didn't do enough to earn his favor. We didn't hear it a lot, but there was a couple times as we were going through the process with Ava where you would hear, you know, if you had just prayed a little more or maybe if you had just lived life a little differently then this this wouldn't have happened then she wouldn't have gotten sick then everything would have been okay we seem to have this deep desire to make how god sees us something about us and it's not about us it's not about us there is, there is a little bit of truth to, to the sentiment. We, you know, we, do, we did do something to incur God's wrath. We are sinful people. We are sinful from the time of conception, sinful in the womb, before we even draw a breath or have the ability to form a thought. But though we have earned God's wrath through our sinfulness, we do not receive it. For his wrath was fully poured out on Jesus Christ. Jesus took all of God's wrath. He he didn't leave anything for us. We don't get any claim of it. And though there are still consequences here on earth for the sin that we do, if I speed, maybe not so much in Jersey, it's kind of crazy how you can speed here and like no one seems to care. But if you speed in other areas of the country, you're going to get a ticket. And that's just something you've earned. Like that's just an an, an element of life. That's a consequence of sin that you've done. That's, That's just what that is. But those consequences are not because God is pouring his wrath out on you. This is part of living. You broke the law. There's going to be some consequences for that. But that's not God's wrath, his cup of wrath being poured out. And so our suffering for our faith, or suffering in life, period, is not God pouring his wrath out on us. It's not God punishing us for not doing what we should. Jesus took all the punishment already. Jesus took all the punishment already. It would be great if if suffering was something we could avoid. It would be wonderful if suffering was something we didn't have to go through. And yet our verses today encourage us 
to share in suffering for the gospel. To share in suffering for the gospel. You see, suffering is part of the gospel. We see this in John 15, 18 to 20, where we read, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If, you, if they keep my word, they will also keep yours. The world doesn't like us. It doesn't like Christians. It doesn't like belief. It doesn't like faith. It doesn't like Jesus. This is Satan's domain. And he's, he's trying to keep everybody locked up in his house. He doesn't want the kingdom of God coming to earth. He doesn't want the kingdom of God coming and being fulfilled. When that happens, he's on a one-way trip to a lake of fire for the rest of eternity. So he's made it his mission to hinder the church of God by using any means possible. He hates us. The world hates us. They aren't trying to make it easy on us. They treated us the way that they treated Jesus. Suffering is part of the gospel. In Acts 9, 15 to 16, we see that Paul was called to a life of suffering, for that is what the Lord says to Ananias right before he heals Paul. We read, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. The Lord tells Ananias that he's going to show Paul how much he must suffer for the sake of the Lord's name. Not how much he'll be exalted. Not how well people will think of him centuries, generations later. Not how much people are going to adore him, not how influential he, is going, influential he is going to be in the church and how God is going to use him in so many mighty ways. This is the man that wrote a majority of the books in the New Testament. And yet, what Paul learns on the road to Damascus is not the extent of his influence, but the extent of his suffering. The extent of his suffering. Again, suffering is part of the Christian walk. It's part of the gospel. And then how does Paul describe his ministry in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 12? As Olivia read this morning. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Constant reliance on Jesus Christ. Afflicted, but not crushed. Frustrated, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. What an advertisement for the Christian walk of faith. What an advertisement. Suffering. Often when we think of advertisements, we think of like enticements, right? Like we're trying to cause people to want to come because of the good things that will be theirs. 
We try to overhype the good while undermining or ignoring the bad. And there's a fantastic amount of good that comes with the gospel, forgiveness of sins, the the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, life eternal with God our Creator. But it's fascinating to me how Paul refuses to ignore the hard aspects of the Christian walk while also celebrating the amazing parts of it. This first century theology, this recognition of the suffering that comes as part of the Christian walk, needs to be central in our 21st century theology. Suffering is never pleasurable. But suffering is not something that we do in our own power. For as we see in our text this morning, we, like Timothy, are called to share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Not in our own power. In our own power, we would be crushed, lost to despair, forsaken and destroyed, but we are strengthened for the journey by the power of God. This power that we rely on to get us through the suffering, to keep us from being destroyed, is the same power that saved us in the first place. It is the same power that defeated sin and death. It is the same power that has covered our sins with righteousness. It is the saving power of Jesus Christ. The reason we can rely on God's power is because God's power is inseparable from God's grace. His power is inseparable from His grace. If God was not all-powerful, He would not have the ability to pour out His grace on us. His power and His grace are completely linked, and so we can rely on God's power in the face of struggle with the same assurance that we can rely on God's grace in the face of our sin. We get that. We can rely on God's power in the face of struggle with the same assurance that we can rely on God's grace in the face of our sin. That doesn't mean that physically we won't sustain any damage. But it does mean that spiritually, eternally, we are secure. Our hope is secure and we can rest in that. We can rest in that promise. We can rest in the truth, the reality, that because of Jesus and only because of Jesus, we have a hope that will never disappoint. We see that so clearly in our text this morning. I love how Paul, writing to Timothy, drops the hammer of inviting Timothy to embrace the reality of the coming suffering. The suffering that will be endured by the followers of Christ in this world. And then, and then he wraps him up in grace. Paul points to how it is God who has saved us. God who has called us. And that all of this has nothing to do with our works. God didn't save us or call us because of how well we have behaved. But because of his own purpose. Because of his own grace, which he gave us in Christ before time began. Paul has just taken a sledgehammer to the idea that we have earned God's favor through our own works. He's just obliterating that thought or idea, for he tells us that grace, that the grace that saved us was given to us in Christ before time began. Before time began. It happened before there was even such a thing as time. 
So there is no way that we had any time to earn it. Regardless of how awesome we may think we are or how awesome someone else tells us that we are, it is not because of that awesomeness that God saved and called us. We had no opportunity to earn his favor. His grace was given to us before time began. What a blessing. And that just speaks to me. Because I know I can't earn God's favor. And it's so abundantly clear to me how much of a screw-up I am. What an encouragement. What a gift. God's favor, his grace, and his power were poured out on me. Poured out on you in Jesus before time began. Our salvation is due only to God's pre-existent grace. His grace that existed before we fell, before the garden, before time. I didn't earn it. And I don't deserve it. And yet he has given it in abundance. Now God's love does not eliminate the reality of suffering. The idea that God's love spared us from suffering is fool's gold. It's not grounded in truth. We don't find it in scripture. So friends, church, I'm sorry, but you will suffer. You will suffer for the sake of the gospel. But as you suffer, I encourage you to come back to this passage and to see the promise and the hope that we have in the midst of our suffering. God has saved you. God has saved you. And God has called you. And he has a purpose and a plan for you. And that purpose is to embrace the truth. And then proclaim the truth of Christ crucified so that others will come to the knowledge of the truth, to faith in Christ. And God's plan for you is that you spend eternity with him. He doesn't want to spend eternity without you. And he has poured his grace on you. He enabled this purpose and this plan even before time began. This isn't something that we have done. Just as God isn't pouring his wrath out on us, it's impossible for us to have earned God's favor. He has given it to us because he wanted to, because he decided to, because he chose to, because he loves us. Rest in that. As you go through hard times, as you struggle, as you encounter difficulties, as you are shamed, as you physically suffer, rest in that. Rest in that wonderful truth. What an amazing, wonderful, powerful, and awesome God we serve. Amen.